How we doing folks? My name is Hugh Doyle and I'm from a wee place called Burn in County Down in Northern Ireland. And I was born on the 17th of November 1975. So why am I telling you all that? Well, this podcast uh, will explore each of those pieces of information, those little snippets of information about myself. So first of all, I want to Zoom forward 18 years to the 17th of November, 1993. And if you're any good at maths, you'll work out that, yes, that indeed is my, yes, 18th birthday. So what was happening on my 18th birthday on the 17th of November, 1993? Well, I don't know if any of you were born. Some of you mightn't have been born. Some of you... I don't know what you might have been doing that day, but for me, how I celebrated my 18th birthday was by watching a football match on TV. And it wasn't any old football match. It was a football match between Northern Ireland and they had a home game in Windsor Park in Belfast against another team. And that other team was, yes, the Republic of Ireland. Unfortunately, at that time in 1993, uh, the place I grew up in, Northern Ireland, was was in the midst of a very severe and dark trouble times. Yes, we called it the Troubles. It's a very Irish thing just to call it the Troubles. Uh, it was just a wee bit of bother, a wee bit of trouble. But unfortunately, 3,000, 3,500 people died, were savagely blown up or shot or killed in various ways and tens of thousands of people were left either physically scarred, emotionally or psychologically scarred from approximately 30 years of violent conflict in the country I grew up in. So in 1993, around about October 1993, just in the month prior to my 18th birthday, there had been some attempts at a peace process um, between Sinn Féin and and the SDLP and the British and Irish government, Um, but there was also a lot of violence, a lot of very dark, a lot of very traumatic violence going on in October 1993. Two of the most horrific things in the Troubles happened during that month. Firstly, in Frizzell's fish shop on the Shankill Road in Belfast, the IRA planted a bomb on a busy Saturday morning where when people were going about their business, buying fish for for the dinner, buying whatever for their, their Sunday roast the next day and... The IRA went in and planted a bomb, left it on the counter, and uh, nine people died, in, including the, the bomber. Um, fast forward a couple of weeks, we have the Greysteel massacre just outside Derry. Greysteel between Derry and Limavady. Um, coming up to Halloween night, the UVF entered and, and shot dead. I think it was seven, seven people. And that was really a really, really horrific time. And there was other 
killings and murders and mayhem going on on both sides during that month. And I remember it very well. I remember the feeling more so than all the details. I remember the feeling of the that anybody really could be next. I remember walking home from, from Warren Point to the wee, pl- wee place I live burning, which is only about two miles away, and um, it was kind of a pretty dark road, and it was there wasn't much of a footpath either. And I, I remember just thinking that, uh, you know, somebody could drive up, pretend they're giving me a lift, and, uh, and pull out a gun on me. You know, thankfully that, that didn't happen. Thankfully, I didn't have experiences like that growing growing up, and I, I know lots of people did, but the fear was certainly there at that time. I think up until that point, I, I, I you know, I seen the troubles on the TV. I seen the killings. I seen the shootings reported nearly nearly every evening uh, on the news. I would have got stopped at at checkpoints. I would have heard bombs going off I would have you know been fearful for my family at, at various points when when bombs did go off particular particularly in in, in Warren Point where, where my father worked but thankfully the troubles didn't create any major trauma in in my family and apart apart from just that that feeling of of dread that feeling of doom which I suppose is um I suppose it's not the best way to, to grow up, but that that is thankfully the the most that, that, that happened to me. So anyway, fast forward then a couple more weeks and uh, it's it's the seventeenth of November nineteen ninety-three and it's it's my eighteenth birthday. And the Republic of Ireland just need one more point from their World Cup. 1994 USA 1994 campaign to reach the the World Cup finals and that that last game in the group is against Northern Ireland so they head down to to Belfast and and no Republic of Ireland fans are are allowed in because the trouble is and the tension is is so great between the two teams at the at the moment and the whole political situation and the paramilitary killings on both sides are, are at their height, so, so only Northern Ireland fans are, are allowed in. And anyway, this this story goes that uh, Northern Ireland takes takes the lead through Jimmy Quinn. The Northern Ireland manager, Billy Bingham, turns to the Northern Ireland fans and and encourages them to get behind their team, in fairness, but also... You know, this isn't infuriating the, the Republic of Ireland fans who, who are looking on mainly from their TV screen, but a few have, have got in, I know, um, who sat there very, very quietly um, and watched what was going on. And they also listened to sectarian bigotry, sectarian hatred, um, mainly coming from, from the nor- a certain section of the Northern Ireland fans. And I say a certain section because I know no, not all Northern Ireland fans are like this. And I am a Northern Ireland fan as well, but I'm also a Republic of Ireland fan as well. And I'll come back to that later on, maybe, or maybe in a subsequent po- podcast. But yeah, yeah, a really horrible, horrible atmosphere. 
And anyway, the, the match goes on for another while and Northern Ireland are still winning and uh, the Republic aren't heading to, to the USA up until the substitute. Um, Jack Charlton brings on a substitute, Alan McLaughlin, and he scores a fantastic goal. Now, Jimmy Quinn's goal was fantastic and Alan McLaughlin's equaliser was equally fantastic and the game finishes 1-1. And the Irish the Republic of Ireland team at the end of the match aren't quite sure. And the, the news breaks through that that other results in the group have, have gone their way and that they have actually qualified and they quietly celebrate in Windsor Park and on the way home to, to Dublin. So that was my birthday on the 17th of November 1993. And one of my favourite plays of all time by Mary Jones, A Night in November was written shortly after that, telling the tale of Kenneth McAllister, a fictional character who grew up in Northern Ireland as a, as an, as a Northern Ireland Protestant, who brings his father-in-law, a staunch loyalist from, from Belfast, to the Northern Ireland game. And Kenneth then is, is, is really disgusted by the hatred and the bigotry which he really sees for the first time in his in his life during during that game, well, the first time he realizes how horrible it actually is, and Kenneth goes on a journey of discovery. He looks at all aspects of his own life, not just the sectarian bigotry that he is surrounded by, and his own attitudes um, to to Catholics, to his fellow work colleagues. But he also goes on to look at his own life in terms of his own relationship with his wife. And it's a journey of self-discovery in it. And he emerges triumphantly from, from that uh, examination of his life. And yeah, it's a, it's a beautiful play. It's a one-man play. It was first performed by, by Dan Gordon and, and lots of other people have, have performed it since. Uh, in particular, Paddy Keelty did a run in, in the Gaiety Theatre in, in Dublin. But yeah, it's a wonderful play, folks, if, if, you ever, if you ever get to watch it, if you ever get to go to see it. But yeah, so that was, that, that, uh, that was my 18th birthday. And it's been 25 years now, just, just last month, since that night in November. Yeah, so this, this is the, currently the 14th of December. 2018 I should tell you and um, yeah 25 years ago it doesn't seem like it I know I must be getting old now so you can work out what my age is but 25 years ago was a horrible time in, in the place where I grew up and 50 years ago was also a key moment in our country's history um, 5th of October 1968 was I suppose the start of the civil rights campaign in Northern Ireland and the civil rights campaign brought people together, Catholics and Protestants from all parts and all areas of Northern Ireland to campaign in a peaceful way for civil rights mainly for the Catholic community who had been up to that point roughly over the previous 
46 to 50 years of the Unionist-dominated government in Northern Ireland being discriminated against in terms of housing, in terms of education, in terms of uh, job opportunities, in terms of voting, the whole gerrymandering system meant that each county council and that the, the Westminster elections were, to all intents and purposes, rigged so that the Unionist Party, the Ulster Unionists, that they, as they became known as then, that they had a stranglehold pretty much across all forms of government in Northern Ireland. So, obviously, people across Northern Ireland in the late 1960s got together. They recognised what was going on. Now, Northern Ireland, Northern Ireland had been relatively peaceful for their first 50 years of, it, of its existence, even though it was dominated, the politics were dominated by the, by the Unionist Party. Uh, I, I know, speaking to my father when he was alive, that he didn't really have any kind of notion, I suppose, that he, he was being discriminated against. Uh, I, I, I remember asking him, you know, when did you first get the vote? And he doesn't, he didn't really remember. So I think for the most part, particularly people in rural, rural areas, I know it's different in, it was different for people in Derry, for example, where the discrimination was at its rife and where the poverty was uh, at its most ex extreme. But for a lot of people who, who grew up in more rural, rural areas in Northern Ireland, they may not have, they, they obviously experienced great poverty, but they may not have um, been really aware of that. And life went on. Lots of people emigrated, at least for a while. My own father spent most of the 1950s in, in London and various jobs, mostly manual labouring jobs. And uh, he came back home, he came back home in the early 60s then and he met my, my mother and, and they got married. Um, he met my mother in December 1961 and the following September they were married and they had they had seven kids um, throughout the, the, the one half to the other pretty much up until 1970 and then 1975 they, they had me. So that was the seven of us. So my father... I suppose, didn't really have any notion of, of being discriminated against. But, yeah, I, I know. Obviously, in certain places in Northern Ireland, people were were um, coming together in 1968, Derry being key, Newry as well, which was quite, quite close to, to where, uh, was the place, where was the place I was born and very close to the place I grew up and the place I went to school in. So, um yeah, there's civil marches, civil rights marches happening um, right across Northern Ireland and people were starting to mobilise. And and people from all backgrounds, as I said, not just Catholics, people from all backgrounds recognised that Catholics were being discriminated against and they got together in a peaceful manner. And lots of these protests were... Um, were broken up by the RUC very violently and these pictures went all around the world of these peaceful protesters being violently hit over the head 
by the RUC, by the Royal Ulster Constabulary, the police force that was there to protect the whole community, but which predominant, which was predominantly made up of members of the Protestant community. When I say Protestant community, again, that's the language that I grew up in. I don't like to see to say that we had different communities, but unfortunately, that's the way it was. That's the language that we used. But yeah, that's the thing. Not too many people joined the RUC, that's for sure. Um, and certainly their response, the RUC's response to the early days of the civil rights marches certainly didn't encourage Catholics to join up, that's for sure. Fast forward then four years um, to January 1972. Um, we have a civil rights march in, in Derry that coming towards the end of the civil rights march in Derry ended up at Free Derry Corner. Well, that was the almost made it to Free Derry Corner and the British Army in particular, the Parachute Regiment opened fire on the peaceful protesters. 14 people ended up dying. Um, the day became known as Bloody Sunday. And that was a pivotal moment, really, in, in the conflict. Um, up until that point, you know, the loyalists had been... Uh, combating, going up against, fighting against uh, Catholics, re uh, Republicans. There was tension on both sides. Both sides were were fighting each other. Uh, the British government sent over the troops, sent over the British army. And watch some of this on, on YouTube, folks, if you haven't already seen it. But the Catholic community in Belfast in particular welcomed the arrival of the British Army on the streets in the late 1960s because they were under threat from certain elements in the Loyalist community and they felt that the British Army were coming over to protect them, to bring about peace and they were welcomed with open arms. Now, obviously that welcome didn't last very long and certain elements of the British Army didn't behave very well and particularly the Parachute Regiment who are who were brought in to try and quell the uprising in Derry, um, and yeah, and that came to a head then in thirtieth of January, nineteen seventy-two, when fourteen when fourteen people um, were were killed by the British Army by the Parachute Regiment. So yeah, that. That created a, an atmosphere then in in the north of Ireland and you had lines of, of people lining up, young men mainly, to join the IRA, of course. Of course, that's a natural reaction. Uh, lots of people joined up. Lots of people didn't join up as well. Lots of people said, no, we still want to go down the peaceful route. But unfortunately, the violent route the certain leaders at that time encouraged um, a violent strategy in terms of creating a united Ireland or, or whatever. And the whole civil rights movement just got 
swallowed up really in the in the wave of violence. 1972, over 500 people were killed, the bloodiest year of all. And now, and it wasn't just obviously the IRA that killed them, the British Army, loyalist paramilitaries also um, also were responsible for the uh, for a hell of a lot of those killings as well. Okay, and then various other Republican splinter groups developed the INLA and, and so on. And we had a murky, murky, disgusting 30 years of, of violence, a very murky, shadowy war. When you look back on it now, and we don't have all the information in the public domain at the moment, but certainly it was murky who was on whose side, who among the Republican community, who among the loyalist community were working for the British government, were working with, with the British army. It's all... It all it was all very murky and a lot of people died and a lot of people were killed and a lot of people were were maimed physically and a hell of a lot of people were maimed psychologically. And yeah, it was mainly men who who perpetrated this violence. A number of women were involved, but mainly, mainly men. Vast, vast majority were men. And of course that left the, the women at home to keep the house going, to keep the family going, to feed the kids, to keep the community together. So that's a, that's that's another story really, how women in conflict situations do all the work in terms of looking after the kids, keeping the family together, while the men go out and play their war games and kill each other, and kill innocent people, and kill women, kill children. So that's another story, guys, um, which I will hopefully come back to. So, so yeah, I've been chatting now for about 25 minutes. So, yeah, that's just a, a little introduction about where I'm at where I met in terms of thinking back on the last 25 years and thinking back over the previous 25 years in, 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 in my country, um, the place where I grew up in, Northern Ireland, Ireland, whatever whatever you call it. I don't really care what what you call it. Uh, we're in the midst of, of Brexit negotiations as well. And it's so interesting that a couple of years of Brexit negotiations can create discussions and possibilities around the unification of Ireland, which 30 years of violence did not create, uh, did not bring about in any shape or form. Yeah, yeah, we had a peaceful movement in the late 1960s, early 70s in terms of the civil rights. You know, who knows what would have happened if, if we had continued on with the peaceful movement, in my opinion. Yeah, we, we would have got equality very, 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 very soon. Perhaps even the year I was born, 1975. Um, if the men, the men of violence hadn't have uh, gotten their way at that time. But unfortunately we didn't. And the, the British government and the Irish government too were complicit in that. But yeah. We do have relative peace now and we have Brexit happening now. And it is so interesting that that only after a couple of years of, of negotiations, a few years back, we in 2014, the Scottish 
um, national nationalist party had uh, were successful in in having a referendum in terms of the independence of Scotland. Again, that was so close. The Scottish Scotland almost broke away from the, the United Kingdom, and uh, who knows what might happen in the near future. And now we have the Brexit negotiations, and there's all sorts of talk of uh, borders, economic borders in the IRC, Northern Ireland becoming more aligned to the Republic of, Republic of Ireland, um, people, uh, politicians not wanting to tamper and tinker, tinker with the Good Friday Agreement, and it's 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 really interesting times, and it's it 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 really shows. How politics, politics, how politics is a very dirty game, but it's interesting that that we possibly that possibly there could be there is that there is actual talk of a united Ireland, um, and this has all been brought about through political nonviolent means. So, yeah, yeah, we 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 had a government in the Northern Ireland Assembly originally made up led by um, the SDLP and the Ulster Unionists. And, you know, the SDLP brought in Sinn Féin from the cold in the early 90s, during that dark, dark time that I talked about earlier. Yeah, John John Hume, he, he got a bit of stick in, in 1993 in his constituency when he went to the funerals of the, of the people that were killed in, in Greysteel. There was a lot of people said he, he shouldn't have been going there because he was in talks with Jerry Adams and, and, and Sinn Féin at that time to, to try and bring Sinn Féin in from the cold, to try and create a, a, a peace process, which which did happen to be successful over over the next ensuing years. But yeah, in 1993, he, he was getting stick for for negotiating with, with Sinn Féin. But there was a poignant moment at the... the Graysteel funeral, one of the Graysteel funerals, at least when when members of the victims' families came over and, and talked to, to John Hume and, and hugged him and, and told him how much wonderful work he was doing and, and encouraged him to, to continue on with his work in terms of the peace process. And that was obviously a huge, hugely emotional day for John Hume. So Again, if you just want to look up some footage of that on, on YouTube, it is uh, it's uh, it's highly emotionally charged, and John Hume and many other people in the SDLP did continue with their their work in terms of, of bringing the, Sh- the Sinn Féin in from the cold, and and they did, and they and they, we had the Good Friday Agreement five years later, less than five years later, a historic occasion where where all political parties. Agreed, uh, apart from the DUP, funnily enough, uh, to to sign up to to those peaceful me- measures, and then we had a government. Eventually, after a few years, we had um, an assembly in Northern Ireland with, with certain powers, and those powers increased over the years. And the government was mainly led by the Ulster Unionists and the DUP, and we had, or sorry, the Ulster Unionists and and the SDLP, and we did have members of. Sinn Féin in, in the government as well and eventually the DUP as well and then eventually the IRA decommissioned their weapons um, 
after John de Chastelin led the Independent Commission for the Decommissioning of Weapons. And eventually then the DUP were, were brought into the government and famously then we had Mark McGuinness and, and Ian Paisley, uh, the Chuckle Brothers as they became known as, leading the government of, of Northern Ireland. And that lasted for a few years and um, they they both have passed away now since. And and the other leaders that have emerged haven't haven't brought haven't continued on with the government of Northern Ireland. They've they've left the people stranded in Northern Ireland over the last the last couple of years. Uh, and it's interesting. It's interesting that mm, that Brexit negotiations have been going on over the last couple of years. That that the DUP and the Sinn and Sinn Fein have just stepped away, stepped away from those Brexit negotiations at, at a crucial, crucial time in for our country, for Northern Ireland, for the Republic of Ireland, for Britain, for the United Kingdom, whatever, whatever you like to call it, for these countries, for these islands. And yeah, Sinn Féin and the DP didn't step up to the mark there. So yeah, that's that's interesting times. But now, but now, yeah, Brexit is happening and, and who knows what might happen. But guys, yeah, that's it. That's it for, for my first podcast. Um, I have to go to work now. <laughs> I have to uh, pay the bills. So, yeah, I've enjoyed this. I uh, Hopefully you'll, you've enjoyed listening to this. If if anybody actually listens to it, um, that that would be great. But hopefully I'll, I'll chat to you again sometime soon folks uh, I know I've created lots and lots of different questions and, and jumped all over the place in the history of Northern Ireland over the last five, uh, 50 years and uh, lots of issues were brought up there and uh, maybe some of those issues will be explored then uh, over the next pod, few podcasts so thank you for listening if, you, if you, <laughs> you've tuned in and uh, we'll chat to you again folks thank you, bye bye